Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, August 15th. We begin with an update on the war in Ukraine. With the Russian invasion now six months in, what might we expect to see next? And could Russia resort to using a nuclear weapon in the conflict? We discuss with Daryl G. Kimball, executive director of the Arms Control Association. It's one positive to come out of the pandemic, an increased interest in gardening, and it appears to be continuing here in Canada. We talk about our national love for gardening with Michelle Gauthier, executive director of the Canadian Garden Council. From baseball to track and field and even football, remember Inflategate? Cheating scandals are nothing new in the world of sports. Our Dave McIver brings us a few of the most famous, or more to the point, infamous cases of sports cheating scandals. And finally, could it be that the old saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, is outdated? We speak with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, for details on a new study that says drinking a beer a day may be just what the doctor ordered. How likely is Russia to resort to a nuclear solution, and what are the potential nuclear scenarios that Russia could use such a weapon? Joining us to discuss is Daryl G. Kimball, Executive Director of the Arms Control Association. Good morning to you, Daryl. Thank you for joining us. Good to be with you to talk about this uh, heavy topic. It is a heavy topic, and it's interesting to me, Daryl, because it's something that came up six months ago. And now, as time has passed, and we've moved almost a half a year into this conflict, it's still in the conversation, maybe not as much. And I guess the big question is, six months in, how likely is Russia to resort to using a nuclear weapon? Well, I think there still is a heightened risk of nuclear weapons use um, in the in the the Ukraine conflict, especially if it escalates. Um, we have to remember, it was in the news early on because on February 24th, and again, on April 27, Vladimir Putin threatened the potential use of nuclear weapons against any state that might interfere with Russia's uh, assault on Ukraine. And Russian officials have denied they would use nuclear weapons against Ukraine in Ukraine. But uh, the warnings were clearly intended to try to deter uh, U.S. And, and NATO forces from directly intervening. And we've known for decades that if Russia and NATO get into a direct conflict, um, that that conflict could quickly escalate uh, to the nuclear level. So because the war continues, because NATO and Russian forces are in close proximity, uh, because there could be a miscalculation or an accident, that, that risk of a NATO-Russia conflict, I think, continues um, uh, going forward. The risk may be relatively low, but it it will continue for some time. You know, when we think uh, about, uh, Daryl, when we think about a nuclear attack or a nuclear strike, images of Hiroshima and Nagasaki come to mind, but are there other strategic ways a nuclear power like Russia could use a nuclear strike? Would it look different than previous? Well, Russia and the United States um, have uh, about 1,400 long-range uh, nuclear weapons each. They can arrive within about 20 minutes of the launch order by either president. Uh, they also have, uh, especially Russia, a number of shorter-range nuclear weapons. So if a conflict were to uh, erupt between NATO and Russia in Europe, uh, the likely starting point for nuclear exchange would be using so-called short-range tactical nuclear warheads. But these are not 
small explosions. Um, these would be rather large explosions around the size of the Hiroshima Nagasaki attacks, which were city destroying uh, weapons. And uh, because each side uh, would likely retaliate to use of nuclear weapons on that scale by the other, we could quickly see this escalate to the uh, global uh, level. And if as many as you know, a thousand uh, nuclear weapons were used on each side uh, in such a conflict. Uh, estimates are that we could see 100 million people die within hours, and then uh, many, many millions more uh, in the days and weeks uh, beyond, due to the broader effects of of nuclear weapons, which are unlike any other kind of weapon uh, that we've ever known. You know, selfishly, we'd want to know, you know, as Canadians, we sit right in the middle of the two biggest nuclear powers. How concerned should Canadians be for their safety? Well, nuclear weapons are something that affects everyone, no matter where they live. Um, the uh, use of uh, nuclear weapons on a, on a large scale would have global uh, effects, maybe not in the immediate hours, but uh, in the long term, there's actually a new uh, scientific study that's being released uh, coincidentally today in Nature magazine that uses uh, advanced climate uh, modeling to estimate how the effects of the radiation and the soot that such a conflict would put into the atmosphere, how it would affect uh, food production. Uh, and it would uh, adversely affect food production all around the world. Uh, so, you know, nuclear war is not something that would be uh, if, if there were several dozen or even a, a couple hundred nuclear detonations, this would not be confined to the region where those detonations take place. It would have global uh, climatic, uh, social, uh, economic, financial effects uh, that would affect everyone. So that's why uh, it's, it's vital that all nations around the world uh, encourage uh, the U.S. and Russia to do everything they can to reduce nuclear risks and quickly reduce the number of nuclear weapons they have, as well as the nuclear weapons that the other seven mm -hmm. uh, world's nuclear-armed countries uh, have so that we can get closer to a world without nuclear weapons. Speaking with Daryl G. Kimball, Executive Director of the Arms Control Association, Daryl, we do know uh, since the Cold War there are international laws in place surrounding nuclear weapons. Uh, you know, there's agreements, protocols in place, but is, is part of the issue that we've seen President Vladimir Putin just roll over any agreements, just go back on his word. Is, is that um, the major issue here, that no matter what laws or protocols you have in place, he doesn't seem to want to abide by them? Well, the Russians, uh, I would say, are, are now selectively abiding by uh, agreements uh, that have been developed to reduce the risk of, of nuclear chemical uh, weapons. Uh, but there are some that are still in place that are very important that constrain Russia's uh, nuclear forces, American nuclear forces. Uh, but the problem I would say that we have is that there's been a breakdown in uh, relations between the U.S. and Russia. There's uh, not an active dialogue on nuclear risk reduction in the wake of Russia's war on Ukraine. Uh, the last remaining treaty regulating the U.S. and Russian arsenals, it's called the New Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, it will expire uh, in early 2026. And unless the U.S. and Russia somehow get back to the negotiating table, uh, we won't have any limits on the world's two largest arsenals. So, so far, 
the U.S. and Russia are abiding by that New START agreement. And both President Biden and President Putin have said they want to get back to the negotiating table to negotiate uh, agreements to supersede that that agreement, um, but they haven't done so thus far. So I would say that you know we need to have uh, dialogue. Um, you know, dialogue with Russia is never easy. Um, it's never uh, fast, uh, but it's been essential throughout the Cold War years and after to reduce the risk of nuclear war, of nuclear arms racing, and and miscalculation between adversaries. Very interesting topic, and I'm uh, shocked that we're still talking about this six months in, but it is on the table for sure in the conversation. Thank you so much for your time, Daryl. You bet. Thank you. Take care. You do. That is Daryl G. Kimball, Executive Director of the Arms Control Association. Interest in gardening grew during the COVID pandemic, and its popularity apparently isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Canadians love to garden, and to discuss our love, we're joined by Michelle Gauthier, Executive Director of the Canadian Garden Council. Good morning to you, Michelle. Good morning. Why do we love gardening so much, Michelle? What is it about it? Because it's good for us. <laughs> you know, gardening is, is, and more and more studies show it, um, that gardening is good for us from a health point of view, uh, physical, mental. It, it also brings a quality of life to us. Um, it's also very inclusive, um, and and so people are turning to the gardens uh, and and to enjoy life, and and that's what we saw during the pandemic when everybody was held back and you know you couldn't go anywhere. Well, you turn to your garden, and you know our garden culture is changing in this country. Um, you know it used to be the backyard garden type of thing mm-hmm. and the front yard, but now you know there's the balcony gardens, there's rooftop gardens, there's community gardens, uh, indoor gardening. So, you know, it's transforming itself. And I think that's all positive. But what is it, Michelle, in the sense that during the pandemic, for example, we started to use puzzles. People, puzzling came back and people were using puzzles to entertain themselves. That's kind of gone away now. But gardening has not. What is it that continues to hang on? Uh, These newfound gardeners are continuing. Yeah, I, I well, I think you know people see the benefits, and and so of course, 2022, um, we at the Canadian Garden Council decided, well, let's make 2022 the year of the garden in Canada, and we're the first country to do this, and because to acknowledge how important and and the role that gardens play, and so it's interesting that with the House of Commons. All the MPs in the House of Commons unanimously together voted to recognize 2022, the year of the garden. So I think that goes to show the power of gardening, because it's not that often that you have all the MPs agree to something, right? Um, So in our lives, it's a bit the same. Like once you've put your hand in the soil and once you've adopted a plant, you know, then you want to look after it. And and sometimes you benefit from it because it could be edible. And, and so then you see the direct results of it. So yes, you know, those are all elements that tie us into the gardening and to our gardens so that we don't let it go. We've got about 30 seconds. I don't want to put you on the spot, Michelle, but uh, I find the whole idea of gardening daunting. It seems huge to me. Can you give me one example in Alberta of something I might be able to grow food-wise and have success with fairly easily? What would that be? 
Oh boy, now you got me. I don't know. Depending what you like, I mean, is it carrots? Uh, is it? Uh, there's a lot of herbs right now. People are big in in, in growing herbs and, and and you know to to spice up or their their meal or to give it some flavor. So herbs are very popular, and I'm sure they grow well in uh, in Alberta. Oh, I'll get to it. Why not? I'm just searching up what herbs I can grow. Thank you so much for your time, Michelle. We appreciate. Okay. It. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is Michel Gauthier, and he is with the Canadian Garden Council. You can find out more about what they do at livethegardenlife.gardenscanada.ca. <music> Baseball to football, remember, in Flategate to track and field. Cheating scandals in the world of sports, nothing new, but our Dave McIver thought that he'd uh, take a look at some of these things for us. And, and, and Dave, let's, there's a reason for this. You, okay, you, yes. You, you brought to mind, you thought, let's look at scandal in sports. Of course, because uh, if you missed it on Friday, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., a very young but very good baseball player who's been out with uh, a wrist injury, he got popped, 80-game suspension, PEDs. And we know that baseball has had its history with performance-enhancing yes. drugs for sure. So we're not going to get so much into those ones. We're going to get into ones, you know, that maybe are lesser-known scandals in the world of sports. We got the classics. Of course, we have uh, Lance Armstrong. Remember Do this? you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Yes or no? Was one of those banned substances EPO? Yes. So we have Lance and, of course, uh, the famous, I think everyone's heard this clip once or twice, uh, you know, in, in the world of sports. Nancy Kerrigan, after uh, it was revealed that uh, Tanya Harding's ex-husband, Jeff Galuli, hired a hitman to, uh, you know, injure her before the Olympics. In Olympics, she would go on to win a medal, and Harding would finish eighth. But I bet you haven't heard of this one. It involves the Spanish 2000 Paralympic basketball team, a team where an undercover journalist by the name of Carlos Ribagorda was asked to play for the team, ended up making it. Do you want to know what he had to do to make the team he had to get selected on the team by doing six push-ups now there was a rule that you could be intellectually disabled for the Paralympics and that's what the ba- uh, the basketball team did they went on they dominated the tournament they won the gold medal but it was found out and Carlos blew the whistle that 10 out of the 12 players did not suffer from an intellectual disability so they were stripped of their gold medal after uh, this was all found out and he blew the whistle on the team. Have you heard of Rosie Ruiz? No, I've never heard the name. In 1980, Rosie Ruiz was the first woman to cross the finish line in the Boston Marathon. She was crowned. There was a big cele- uh, celebration. She was lauded as the fastest woman in Boston. However, it was later discovered that Rosie jumped out of the crowd just a few hundred feet from the finish line and won the race. All the other competitors were like, we've never seen her. We've, we, where did she come from? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we, awesome. we have no idea where she came from. The Little League World Series, we saw the Canadian Championships just wrap up in our city on Friday. Uh, lots of scandal in there with players not being, oh, yeah, they fake birth certificates. What? And, uh, this Supposed happened- to be innocent. Yes, this actually happened in 2001. Danny Almonte was playing and they faked his birth certificate 
the line was Almonte was pitching with puberty on his side. He could throw a 70-mile-an-hour fastball, which is the equivalent of a 92-mile-an-hour fastball when you're standing on a Little League mound. He was mowing down the 12-year-olds and dominating the sport. They went on to win. Of course, it was found that he was too old and the team was disqualified. It just goes to show, doesn't matter what age, doesn't matter what sport, doesn't matter what level, athletes will go and athletic associations will go to any lengths to win the championship, the gold medal, or anything. So some scandals in the world of sports you maybe not have heard of this morning. Yeah, and that's why I like watching wrestling like WWE, WWF, (laughs) because you know you're getting the real deal. There's nothing, I mean, boy. No sport untouched. I will say. Yeah, you know what you're in for with wrestling. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I will say, you know, people, wrestling is choreographed. There's no doubt about it. But I still do have an appreciation for some of the things those guys do. Yeah. They fall on their backs. You know, how natural is it for you just to fall down yeah. and land on your back without putting your hands down? I'll give those guys prop. But uh, the rest of these knuckleheads out there, come on. Little League Baseball World, World Series cheating? we got to be better than this, you're, folks. You're going to get caught. <laughs> New research from Portugal suggests beer can have positive health benefits. In other news, I'm moving to Portugal. Uh, but seriously, <laughs> uh, we're discussing this research with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Um, just a... Sorry, I just had to crack this open. Um, I wanted to ask you about this. Because yeah. uh, before we get into the, the actual study, it seems to me that two months ago, maybe three months ago, we had you on the program, and we were talking about how, how even maybe one drink per day can yeah. be harmful for our health. We should avoid alcohol. And then this research comes out of Portugal. How often do you find, you know, kind of competing or uh, juxtaposed, uh, is that a word, uh, studies in juxtaposition with one another like this? Absolutely all the time. And in particular, it's things like uh, beer, wine, coffee, things that people love a lot and take you know on a on a very regular basis but th- this is a good news story it really is and it i it doesn't actually contravene a lot of other research that's come out and that's the interesting part about this but so on a hot summer calgary day this mm-hmm. is the best news you're going to hear medically for a long time for oh, sure all right so let's break <laughs> let's break down what this study had to tell us what we can glean from it yeah. and, and how much alcohol we're talking about here yeah so so your statement like Every study, medical studies coming out saying we have to be extremely careful with alcohol. Alcohol is actually sort of not a good thing. Less is better than more. But this study was all about gut microbes, so the bacteria in your gut. It was a very short study, only four weeks, so one month, only 22 men. So it was a very narrow study that it didn't involve any other gender but male. Uh, but half the group got beer, alcohol, uh, beer, like 5.2% alcohol, and the other was a non-alkalized beer. And they looked at the gut microme after that. They all did better from the gut. They had a more diverse bacteria in their gut, which is felt to be protective for heart disease, diabetes, maybe cancer, a lot of things. So it's a really, really good thing. But the difference is there was no difference in between the the group with the alcohol versus the non-alcohol. So here's where the really good news is, if you like your beer and want to get the benefit potentially medicinally from it, then drink non-alcohol beer. You get the taste, you get the good stuff, and you don't get the alcohol, which seems to be the bad part in all the studies coming out. So this really is a good news story. If you can find a good beer that that doesn't have alcohol that tastes reasonable. 
now I'm really on the fence with that. Uh, like, apparently there are some great options out there, but I guess when it gets down to it, uh, Dr. Jablonski, moderation, the word moderation comes back into the conversation when it comes to alcohol in all terms, including yeah. perhaps the health. Yeah, so, I mean, there is a healthy limit, so-called, but even that's being challenged. So, yes, yes and a no, right? So, you know, we used to talk about, uh, you know, one to two drinks a day up to, you know, a certain maximum per week. But even that's being challenged as that might be not completely safe, that, the, the you know, the best safeness is, is, is like not just moderation, is mm-hmm. maybe less, less or none, right, when it comes to pure alcohol. So, again, yes, as opposed to heavy drinking, like you hear this, they say, well, I'm going to drink even more beer because uh, it's going to be good for me. That's actually not the message at all from That's this. Nice. So, yes, moderation is better than excess, and perhaps even less than moderation is the best of all. I'm wondering, this study really focused on beer, but does it translate to those folks who like wine or spirits? So probably not. So this is very particular. So most studies when are the exact opposite when it comes to wine. When you look at de-alcoholized wine, it doesn't seem to carry the benefit that an alcohol-based wine does. So the fermentation process with wine seems different. How they do it with beer and sort of extract the alcohol and keep the benefit, I don't know. But it seems maybe unique to beer, which is very interesting. Yeah. You just got a text, and by the way... Worth noting that Jochen Farr, he runs Farr Brewery out of uh, Turner Valley, he sent a text and says, yay, more stories like this, please. I think he has a Yeah, drink. no, and I, I've had a couple of friends who found a variety of different de-alcoholized uh, uh, beer and say it's tasting closer and closer to the real thing, and they're really yeah. getting excited about them. So I think technology is moving forward in the in the craft beer industry yeah. and the, you know, the, the beer brewing industry. It's a good thing. It's good to, yeah, and that's an interesting study. Thank you for bringing it uh, to our attention, and cheers to you, Dr. J. Yeah, you betcha. That's Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. <laughs> 